is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Good afternoon. Dan Fitzgerald is my name and thanks for your company on the Country Hour. You're on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. We're also on the podcast. Coming up for you on today's program... The melon industry, like many sectors, has had a tough few years finding enough workers to pick its crops. We've seen people who have turned their production down 20%, up to 50%, just because there's been no ability to actually pick the melons and get them off the ground. So just what would the melon industry like to see done to fix this issue and what are the major parties offering? What do they think of that? You'll hear from the head of Melons Australia today. Also today, the Coalition has launched its agriculture policies for the election, officially launched them. Is there anything new in there? We'll take a look. And just why are avocado growers in Queensland dumping truckloads of fruit and leaving them to rot in the paddock? The answers to all of those questions before 1.30 on the show today. But first up, it was a big day in territory politics yesterday, wasn't it? Not only did the NT budget get handed down, but during that process, Michael Gunner resigned as Chief Minister. It was a lot to take in. As for the budget, well, there weren't any huge announcements for NT agriculture. There was some money for Outback Roads and some already announced money for Manton Dam and the Arrows Project. But on the whole, nothing too eye-catching. Earlier today, our Catherine reporter Max Rowley caught up with NT Farmers CEO Paul Burke to get his take on yesterday's budget. In terms of the budget, there wasn't a great deal in it um, for the agriculture sector. I guess um, taking my plant industry hat off and and just putting my agriculture hat off in general, it was good to see additional funding for um, the biosecurity, um, given we've got lumpy skin and, and JE and, and foot and mouth now in Indonesia. Um, we do need to prop up um, that part of the department and, and put more, some more resources in, so it was pleasing to see the $2 million announced there. Whether that's enough, um, I don't think we can ever have enough money in biosecurity, so I think, you know, that's a positive step forward with the announcements from the federal budget as well, so... Um, yeah, that part was pleasing, but the rest of it was fairly light on. What would you have hoped to have seen for the ag sector in that budget? Certainly um, more resources to, to develop precincts and, you know, sitting down here in Catherine and going to the Food Futures um, conference yesterday and having 120 engaged people in the room, many of those from interstate, who are up here looking for opportunities in the north. So we need to work out a way we can get some more land into production. And you didn't see any of that in the budget? Uh, no, not in the budget. Um, and, and, you know, th- there's a com- commitment under the Tersey Review, but um, we do need to make that a reality, and that's going to take some resources. There was a bit for roads funding, $43 million for the Buntine, 49 for the Central Arnhem, 49 for gas industry roads, and $6 million for the Tenemai. What would that roads funding mean for the sector? Um, any funding into roads is going to be positive. I, I, it's, it's always hard in a budget to understand whether it's something that's been revoted from a previous year and, and, and not expended. And during COVID, it was very difficult to do a lot of the road work um, and to move people around the Territory. So I'd imagine some of that is revoted um, funding. What the Territory Government needs to do is work out how they can unlock 
the federal government components of funding. So there's a significant amount of federal government funding for roads available, but it requires um, a con contribution from the Northern Territory government. So we need to make sure that we're, we're maximising the amount of funding we get for roads. And what did you make of the, the, the money put towards the Manton Dam project and, and Arrows project? Um, it's only a small amount of money, $11 million, but, but what it does show is clear, clear intent um, to, to what um, was already funded through the federal government um, budget. So it, it does give industry a lot of confidence that uh, Arrows will develop in, into the future. Um, and Arrows does unlock some, some agricultural opportunity, but it's got to be noted that, that Arrows, you know, the business case is, works because it's for the Darwin water supply. So, you know, we're a secondary user um, and, you know, that, that's fine, but it, it is for, for water security for the region. If there was any one priority of funding for the industry at the moment, you mentioned biosecurity, would that be it? Or is there a different area that you'd be really hoping to prioritise and put more funding into immediately? I think biosecurity is it. I mean, we're getting more and more incursions. So, you know, we need to work out how um, we better respond. And we need a department that's fully resourced. So when something does happen, we're ready to go. And Chief Minister Michael Gunner also announced his resignation yesterday. Um, what did you make of that news? It certainly came as a surprise. I mean, I think from his perspective, a young family and and knowing the workload that's been on myself in my role, and I can only imagine how much work um, it has been for the Chief Minister over the last couple of years. Um, and I think, you know... Um, some credit's got to be given to him for, for navigating through a really, really difficult time um, and it's probably a good time for him to step aside and, um, and, and some new blood to come in and, and, and a bit of a cabinet reshuffle. So, you know, it creates opportunity within government but it also um, gives a clear direction for the next two or three years leading into the next election. What would your hopes or advice be for the incoming Chief Minister? Don't forget agriculture. We're part of the future of the Territory. Um, we're, we're, we're the cornerstone of the development of, of the Territory and um, we're going to be here for another 100 years, so we're a sustainable industry. So, you know, get out on the ground and understand agriculture fully. In terms of that, what is the Gunner government's legacy in terms of, and Michael Gunner's legacy in terms of agriculture in the NT to date? Um, I think, you know, having... Uh, um, a minister within cabinet and, and such a senior minister in Nicole Manison has been a really positive step forward. Um, um, minister Manison has been a, a really good advocate for us, especially in the workforce place. Um, and I think we wouldn't have been able to achieve um, bringing in seasonal workers to over two years ago. We're the first jurisdiction in Australia um, to bring workers in. And, and from memory, I think we were one of the first international flights back into Australia. Um, and that couldn't be done without the support of the Gunner government. Nicole Menison is one of the front runners to take that role of new Chief Minister. Would that be your pick among the, the Cabinet so far, or would that be your pick for the next Chief Minister? Oh, we don't pick winners and losers. Um, um, we, we'll work with whoever's in charge, and, and you know, the, the good thing about the Northern Territory is we're sm such a small jurisdiction, so we've actually got relationships with, with, with all of the members of government, so you know, we'll work with whoever gets the job. What's on for the rest of today for the Food Futures Conference, Paul? So at the moment, um, everyone's sort of mustering up and getting ready to do a bus tour and we're going out around the region and we've got one group going and looking at horticultural properties and one group looking at agriculture opportunities. So um, it'll be a nice day out there in the sunshine.
Yeah, that's Paul Burke. He's the CEO of the NT Farmers Association. He was speaking there with our Catherine reporter, Max Rowley. As Paul said, it is day two of the NT Farmers Food Futures Conference. There's another of industry bodies, farmers, stakeholders, a whole range of people in Catherine for the last two days talking about all the big issues for northern agriculture. And as Paul said, today uh, they're on some buses touring around a bunch of farms in the Catherine region. G'day, I'm Mark Smith from Darwin Fruit Farms. We're out in the pineapple paddocks at the moment and you're listening to the Country Hour. Twenty-one minutes to one here on the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald, on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Now, just sticking with the NT budget, in the infrastructure section, there is a bunch of spending outlined as revoted works. So this is essentially money that has been committed for infrastructure projects in previous budgets, but has yet to be spent. Now, under the revoted works for infrastructure in this year's budget, it totals $1.3 billion. It's a huge amount of money. Our acting Chief Minister and Acting Treasurer Nicole Manison, she was asked about these revoted works this morning, just why they're there. And why they're so big? It's not uncommon uh, because those types of projects uh, can take years uh, when it comes to the planning, the design and then actually getting it done between um, financial years as well because our financial years also have some um, weather conditions attached to it. We know we get most of our civil construction work and construction work done during the dry season here and um, a, you know, a long wet season can have a big impact on, on how construction money goes out. So um, revoting is a normal part of, of budget management, um, particularly when it comes to those really big, significant infrastructure projects like really big roads. Yeah, but surely the wet season and design plans and tenders, all of those things are factored into in the planning and the budgetary timeline. So that $1.3 billion from 2021 to 22 has been revoted, revoted. Does it show that you just can't get major projects done on time? No, what it shows is that we've got a very big infrastructure budget and that we are going to be delivering a lot of infrastructure for the Northern Territory and it continues to grow. Uh, but these projects are complex, they need to be done well and they do take multiple years, some of them, to deliver. So so that's what that tells you. Okay, can, can we expect then the bigger the project, the more complex it is, the less likely it is to be delivered on time? No, not necessarily as well. Um, projects are complex. Like We put them into the program um, and then we get the cash allocation to them and we roll them out um, in, in the project timeline. Um, certainly uh, in some previous years when I've been in government, I've been seeing projects getting done well ahead of time. Whilst other times, um, whilst I've worked in government, when we've seen big wet season, I've seen them push out or if they've had a really pump an economy and it's been uh, difficult to secure labour, those types of things, that can also have an impact too. That is Nicole Manison. She is the currently the Acting Chief Minister and the Acting Treasurer. And she was speaking there with Joe Laverty on ABC Radio Darwin early this morning. Now, uh, she is acting because Michael Gunner, as we know, he resigned as Chief Minister yesterday at the Labor Caucus. It will be meeting on Friday to try and vote in a new leader. Uh, if you want to take a look at who are the front runners, 
in terms of getting that gig. Uh, there is an online story up on the ABC News page right now. You can check that out. Now, also this morning, uh, the NT opposition leader, leader gave her budget reply speech to the NT parliament and she concentrated a lot on the NT government's debt. CLP leader Leah Finocchiaro, she also criticised Michael Gunner for quitting as chief minister on the same day that he handed down the budget. Now, the main policy the CLP put forward uh, in Leah Finocchiaro's speech was about rooftop solar, saying a CLP government would double feed-in tariffs during peak times and double battery subsidies. Um, Here's a bit of her speech this morning. Let's take a look at some of the cold and the hard facts in Labor's budget. Territorians face the highest cost of living pressures set to rise to five, <clears throat> by 5.7% this year. Net debt has increased to $8.7 billion and is set to climb to 9.5. There is an additional $1.1 billion on the credit card compared with last year, and Territorians are paying $1 million a day in interest repayments only. Debt per Territorian is $36,000 for every man, woman and child. Labor is spending $1.1 billion more than its revenue, a ratio that no household budget could sustain. Our population is decreasing, mining royalties are decreasing, and no royalties from onshore gas developments are included in the budget whatsoever. Own-source revenue is set to decrease by $40 million this year, showing that Labor is not doing what it needs to grow the economy. In fact, the Territory's leading economist, Rolf Gerritsen, yesterday calls Labor's plan to return to surplus a tad optimistic, labelling it a fiction. Mr Deputy Speaker, for all the talk and promises, the Territory is being led by the Labor Party, who has for six long years demonstrated they simply cannot deliver. After six long years, it is now abundantly clear, Mr Deputy Speaker, that Labor never will. In this budget, there is a staggering $2 billion in revote from last year's infrastructure budget that has been rolled over this financial year. And buried in the gloss and the spin, this is a truth that Labor don't want to tell. It is the fairy tale of the revote. Despite big announcements of the biggest budgets ever, these revotes show that it's a government unable to even spend what it wanted to in the first place. Opposition leader Leah Finocchiaro, that was part of her budget reply speech in Parliament this morning. It is 15 minutes to one here on the Country Hour. The election. It's easy to get lost amongst the polls, policies and pledges. And time's running out to make more sense of it. Bridget Brennan from ABC News has an election hack. A way to find out where you stand on the political spectrum. Go online to Vote Compass, answer a few quick questions. You may be surprised how your views stack up with the major parties. Vote Compass, exclusive to the ABC. Go to abc.net.au forward slash Australia votes. Hi, I'm Erica. And hi, I'm Billy. And we're, we're from, from Eagle Rock, Rock Station. Station. I listen to the Country Hour podcast as I'm out and about on the station, and so should you. Hope everyone's having a good season. And enjoying their lunch. You're listening listening to to the Country Country Hour. And g'day there. Hope your Wednesday's treating you well. You're with me, Dan Fitzgerald, this afternoon on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Of course, we're on the podcast, as they said there. Uh, Still to come, the Federal Coalition has made an official launch of all its agriculture policies. Uh, We'll be taking a look at that. 
after the Hoodoo Gurus. Hoodoo Gurus there with What's My Scene. You're on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. This is the Country Hour. My name's Dan Fitzgerald. Well, the Coalition has launched its $1.7 billion plan for Australia's agriculture sector. It did it at an orchard near Shepparton in northern Victoria today. Now, most parts of the plan have already been announced and much of it was in the March federal budget. Here's some of what David Littleproud said to the media a short time ago. Australian agriculture for the first time in our nation's history will hit $80 billion. Uh, That's an astounding outcome considering all that we face up to, droughts, fires, floods, cyclones and COVID. Uh, And to think that in 2014-15 we're only a $47 billion industry shows the resilience of farmers. But our job is to put that environment and infrastructure around our farmers and we've done that whether that be with the future drought fund a five billion dollar fund giving a hundred million dollar dividend every year invested back in to our regional communities to make them more resilient whether that be the regional investment corporation uh, that's given particularly in the drought zero interest zero repayment loans uh, then also helping young people through the agri starter loans uh, whether that's been us standing shoulder to shoulder with our dairy farmers uh, against the supermarkets a dollar litre milk. Uh, we, we put in place a dairy code of conduct around the country of origin labelling. We're saying to Australians we're empowering Australians to support Australian farmers uh, with a green and gold kangaroo and a barcode on the bottom that says to them you can be the deciding factor of whether you want to support an Australian farmer or not. It was the National Party that stood tall on an ag visa. We've got it up and we've got Vietnam signed up uh, and that goes to the heart of supporting, complementing and supplementing what we've been able to achieve with the Pacific schemes. But this goes further. It's actually a skilled and semi-skilled visa giving a pathway to permanent residency. This is about making sure that we look to the future and we've looked to the future with our Future Farmers Guarantee. Uh, a million dollar guarantee to back them in part of their guarantee, that they, part of the deposit that they'll give uh, to their bank to give young people a red hot crack at having a go at agriculture. The biggest impost is the capital costs in getting started. But we're also making sure that they're getting a fair go. And what I've been concerned about for some time has been about the perishable goods uh, nature in which trade between our big two Australian supermarkets and the big German, about how they've treated farmers. They own 75% of supermarket share. Uh, and that brings into place a power imbalance. And what farmers want isn't, isn't a free hit. They just want a fair price. And what we've said, we instigated the ACCC inquiry to make sure that we got underneath the bonnet of this. And they came back with two key recommendations. And the first was about making sure that there was transparency. Transparency for our farmers in understanding their their market so that when they went and negotiated, they're on the same footing as a supermarket. And today, as part of that, uh, there's a $5.4 million we announced as part of that ACCC inquiry. $1.75 million will go to the horticulture sector. $650 million of that will go towards making and creating a platform that all of horticulture will be able to participate and understanding in bringing together the, the markets, the combined markets around the country as well as international so that our, our farmers have an understanding of where prices are but also the volumes that are being traded. How much of this is new money compared to what's already announced in, in budgets and previously by the Coalition this campaign? Well, let me say it's $1.75 billion, but um, that's new money. It was put in this thing called a budget. Uh, we're prepared to put it in black and white, and we put it on the table of Parliament. We already know about that, though, Minister. Well, with all due respect, that's, that's a plan. 
Um, there has been no costings. In fact, all the promises that the Labor Party have put up so far, they haven't even put it forward to the Parliamentary Budget Office. Uh, we are less than 10 days away from an election. Ours is fully costed. It's this thing called a budget. That is the Nationals' David Littleproud speaking there to Warwick Long at a press conference near Shepparton in Victoria earlier today. Conversations. Spend an hour in the life of someone else. You go very raw and you feel a whole layer of skin has been peeled off. Someone who has seen and done remarkable things. I didn't stand up next to a safe with a doctor's death scope and pick the numbers, but we used to open safes, yeah. Hear the latest conversations weekday mornings from 11 on ABC Radio. Or anytime on the ABC Listen app. Well, is Australia vulnerable to an incursion of diseases like foot and mouth disease and lumpy skin disease because there's a shortage of vets across rural and regional Australia? The Australian Veterinary Association certainly thinks so. The association's Dr Christy Seacombe, she says vets play an important role in biosecurity and this current shortage is an ongoing problem. It's a huge issue and it's not just in Victoria or even just in Australia. It's actually a global issue in terms of um, getting veterinarians out regionally and rurally to provide services to the community. It's a bit like other health professions in that respect is that it's sometimes quite difficult to uh, make sure that rural and regional areas uh, have all of the services that they need. And in the veterinary sector, it's it's further complicated by the after-hour obligations that uh, veterinarians need to provide to the community. Uh, so, uh, so what's happening is that uh, it's been recognised for a period of time that this isn't sustainable and we are now seeing the effects of it not being sustainable. People are shutting services down or in worst case scenarios, they're actually closing their veterinary businesses. And so what this means is that animals won't be getting the care that they need and it actually puts Australia's biosecurity at risk. To talk a little bit more about biosecurity, uh, you mentioned that lumpy skin disease is a big threat at the moment. There's also been an outbreak of foot and mouth disease in Indonesia just recently. I guess what would happen to the veterinary industry here in Australia if we were to sort of incur some of those big threats, you know, we're already so short-staffed at the moment in the regions with veterinarians. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really important issue that we have to be preemptive and think about now because uh, if uh, if if foot and mouth disease say did come to Australia, um, then it's all hands on deck to make sure that we deal with that disease outbreak to the to uh, ensure the community's safe and. Biosecurity, as we know, is a shared responsibility. Veterinarians play a really important role um, in that response. And at the moment, we know that veterinarians are struggling just to keep up with day-to-day work and to add that extra load on them um, without uh, um, would 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 be really difficult. I mean, I I think that it, it's something that's really, really important. We need to think about all the possible scenarios and plan accordingly. Do you think Australia could cope if we had an outbreak of foot and mouth disease here? Look, I, I that's a, a very difficult question. I think that um, we need to scenario plan so that we are aware of all of the possible options. Um, it may be that there may be may require mobilisation of veterinarians from other countries to assist. 
but the bottom line is, is that currently at the moment, we would be very worried if there was a foot and mouth outbreak coming into Australia that we would not have sufficient uh, veterinary capacity rurally um, to be able to play our role in the biosecurity response. What are some of the factors driving this veterinary shortage? Look, probably the most likely driver of the veterinary shortage is a massive underinvestment in the labour component of the profession. And so what I mean by this is that, uh, you know, there's well, there's two ways that this happens is firstly, veterinarians actually do a huge amount of work that's pro bono work or in-kind work. And examples of that type of work are, uh, for example, preparing for biosecurity or disease risk incursions, such as lumpy skin disease, uh, possibly, uh, or doing the surveillance for biosecurity for in rural and regional areas. And then the second way they'll often uh, undertake a huge amount of pro bono work is providing first aid for those animals that are unowned um, or, uh, or wildlife, so owned by the state. Dr Christy Seacombe, she's the Head of Veterinary and Public Affairs for the Australian Veterinary Association and she was speaking there with Annie Brown. G'day, my name's Amy Kirk. I study sharks and I bloody love them and you're listening to The Country Hour. Now just on foot and mouth disease... In response to this outbreak in Indonesia, the Federal Department of Ag has reviewed import permits for animal products from Indonesia that may carry this disease and suspended a bunch of things of concern. So this includes animal environmental samples for laboratory use such as dairy, including things like cheese and butter, infant formula, and you can't bring in jerky or biltong, also peat, and also among these reviews... Uh, Boats coming from Indonesia will need to meet some strict requirements for cleaning and disinfection, and that includes livestock characters here into Darwin. The big concern is also the potential for tourists to bring in the disease from Indonesia back into the country. Still got plenty to come on the Country Hour today including a chat with Melons Australia about their election priorities and issues they important to melon farmers. So I'll tell you more about that after the 1 o'clock news. G'day, my name's Han. I'm a tropical fruit farmer out of Darwin. I am always too busy to listen to the country hour at lunchtime. So instead, I will always listen to it after hours on the podcast. And you can do that too. You can catch up with our podcast in the afternoon. We put all our episodes up there. If you want to find us, it's pretty easy. Just find the podcast app on your phone and search for Northern Territory Country Hour. Or if you've got the ABC Listen app, that's also a good way. Same deal. Find NT Country Hour, hit download, and then you can listen to us when you're out of range, out and about on those territory roads. Are still to come on the program today just why are some farmers in northern Queensland dumping tons and tons of avocados in paddocks they picked them off the trees and now they're just going to waste and rotting Uh, you'll find out that in the next 25 minutes but let's take a look at what's happening outside Uh, we've got Sally Cutter at the bureau today hey Sally how you doing not too bad thanks 
That's the way. Um, now let's start in northeast Arnhem Land today, where it looks like Nullum Boys is getting a bit of a shower, hey? Oh, yeah, they, they've even heard some rumbles out of it. So there's the storm around there. They've, they've had six, 8.6 millimetres so far out of it. So it's, it's just this technical term blob of cloud that's been moving up through the Gulf Carpentaria and it's moved across Nullumboy at the moment. We also had a few showers early this morning down around Mataranka, and they, they have been moving northwest, but then there's also a trough that's lying just in land of Darwin, extending up sort of to around sort of the, the base of the, the Coeg Peninsula, Murganella Way, and there's the odd shower going up on that at the moment as well. Yeah, okay. Um, Mataranka, did it uh, get anything in the rain gauge? No, they're, they're pretty pretty sparse so unfortunately we don't have a lot of rain gauges that report in real time down that way so it is fairly easy to miss the rain gauges but yeah the the Groot Island had 3.2 to 9am Warrawee 4, Cape Wrestle 12 and then since 9am Gove's had that that 8 point up up to 8.8 now and the Wilton River's had one and yeah that's it for the for the whole of the territory yeah okay uh those uh, small isolated showers around they they hanging around for much longer this week uh not so much over the top end around the the darwin area the northwest top end northern daily the Coburg peninsula that area you might see them hanging around for a bit longer and storms for a couple of days but they're, they're going to be very few and far between but so just just around that northwest coast, there's a chance. Yeah. Okay. And um, there's going to be a bit more humidity sort of coming in the northwest top end in the next few days, right? Yeah. Yeah. That that northwest. That's what's going to be bringing those showers. We'll see the return of those showers and storms. We need to get that humidity in. In and it's it's only more than we have had over the over the weekend. But the, it's not anywhere like the the dry, the wet season, which is why those storms are going to be very few and far between. Yeah, OK. Um, and just looking a, a bit ahead, it looks like Catherine will get some cool mornings towards the end of the week, those under 20 degrees. That's uh, the temperatures that the mango growers are, are looking out for. Yeah, the, the winds are easing off a little bit, which will allow those temperatures to drop out. And there's also just a little bit of drier air around that area so it's just a combination of the two that's going to allow those those temperatures to drop so just sitting around that 19 20 degree mark maybe even a 17 on monday morning if we're lucky yeah the general rule of thumb is that mango trees are like a, a couple of days in a row of below 20 degrees and that really gets the mango flowers going um sally let's head a bit further south uh, the barkley in central australia how are things looking Barclay's very quiet, which is probably not good news if you want rain through there. The down through the Laster, that southwest corner, there is a chance that we will see a few showers, maybe the odd storm down through there, probably more showers. We do have a bit of a cloud band, a trough moving through, so it's going to get warmer in the southern parts of the Territory from Friday, and then that change will come through on Sunday. Dropping the temperatures, but also there's a bit of a cloud band through there, which will also help. To just just drop those temperatures down a bit again, but and then you might they'll they'll waken out a bit, but then we might see something come back next mid next week. Yeah, okay. Uh, anything else we need we we need to be aware of today, Sally? 
No, that that's really about it. It's sort of, we're in that sort of quiet phase between sort of surges coming north and storms and so it's probably enjoy the, the lull in the weather. Yeah, Roger. Thanks for the update today, Sally. That's okay. That is Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. It is 10 minutes past one here on the Country Hour. My fellow Australians, right now everyone wants to buy your vote. So we're back to show you how your democracy is being sold and bring you all the inside information of how the pollies are trying to spin it to win it. Join our panel of experts, insiders and me, your election guide, Will Anthony Green. Ruin Nation, tonight from 8 on ABC TV or log into stream on ABC iView. Spoken by Will Anderson and the voiceover guy who has to do this bit as fast as possible. G'day folks, Troy Casadaly here. Um, every time I get to the Territory, it's always a, an honour and a privilege. I get up here and I flip lures at Barramundi and Saratoga and whatever else will chase my line. Um, it's a great place to be. You're very lucky to live up here and you're tuned into the country here. Now, as we head towards polling day, one of the key issues for farmers across Australia, really, is fixing the problem of labour shortages. Now, the Federal Labor Party says it would reform and expand the Pacific Australia Labor Mobility Scheme if it is elected, including moving the Coalition's agriculture visa to sit under that scheme. But Executive Officer of Mellons Australia, Jonathan Davey, he says... Industry has worked with the government to design that ag visa and he says he hopes Labor will honour the current model if it is elected. Labor issues have been have been pretty hard hitting over the last couple of years. We we've seen people who have turned their production down twenty percent up to fifty percent just because there's been no ability to actually pick the melons and get them off the ground. Um, uh, working holiday makers and and other visa holders have been the key for us over the years in in the melon industry. We obviously recognise and support the the palm scheme, but for us, you know. Industry over the last decade have been calling for a specific agricultural visa where we can bring in unskilled, uh, slightly skilled, and and highly skilled people to support the to support the businesses do what they need to do to provide the best possible quality product through to our Australian consumers. And I guess building on from that, you know, we we were successful last year, obviously with the with the Liberal National Coalition in getting the ag visa up and established there's the mou that's been signed recently with vietnam which is a uh, you know it's a great step forward there's other there's other people that are interested and i guess from an agriculture and a melons perspective it's it's a bit disappointing to see that um the labor response in terms of just rolling it into the palm scheme and honoring the mou with vietnam but no real structure and and I guess, opportunities being progressed in terms of what we've been calling for for many, many years. The the coalitions, the, the new ag visa that they've been working on, why is that needed? Um, why aren't the current Pacific Labor schemes filling the gap there? I guess it comes down to the available workforce. Um, you know, the, the whole concept of being out in a field for six to eight hours a day bending over picking up 12 to 15 kilo watermelons you need a you need a specific sort of person to do that um 
it tends not to be bigger framed people. So, you know, um, we would be... It, it means that the ag visa really gives us the ability to diversify where we bring people in from. Whereas the palm scheme at the moment, solely focused on the Pacific, hasn't necessarily met a lot of the needs of industry over the years. There was the reform process that happened last year, which was great and really widely respected and, and accepted by industry, but we still needed something else. We still didn't have the numbers of people coming in on that scheme, hence the push for the ag visa, so that we can really diversify and get both skilled un and unskilled people into the country to support our horticultural sector. Now, Labor's plans with the election, they've announced plans to to reform the current scheme and bring the coalition's ag visa under the current Pacific Labor scheme. But they are saying that they want to reform and expand that scheme, reduce upfront costs, extend the length of stay. Is that not enough? Uh, I guess... For us, really, when you look at it, so we don't know what a reformed palm scheme looks like. Um, is it still just focused on the Pacific? If it is, then that's not enough for us as, as uh, the melon industry. Um, again, going back to what we were talking about before, in terms of the, the, the sort of uh, build and, and the way that we need people in, out in the field in terms of doing the work that we do and the, the hard manual labour, it's just not going to cut it. We need the ability to bring in both those skilled and unskilled people, which at the moment under the Palm Scheme isn't available. And so you're calling on Labor to honour the current Ag Visa Scheme then? Is that, is that what you're calling for? Yeah, I think the, the National Farmers Federation, on behalf of the Hawke Council, have been putting it forward quite clearly that the only way forward is to implement the Ag Visa Scheme as it's been put forward. Um, obviously working towards diversifying what countries are available to bring people in. Um, you know, there's some great work that's been done. Simply throwing it out to stick with the current Pacific scheme doesn't seem to be the right way forward and it's certainly not going to help us as industry. One of Labor's main criticisms of the current scheme is that it hasn't delivered any workers to this point. Is that a concern that you share? I so no it's not industry from from the start have been involved in the discussions on the development the principles behind it the the development of the mou with vietnam in particular um and i know for a fact that there are a number of other countries that are quite keen and quite close to similar mou status so regardless of whether people have come in or not i don't think is the is the key push for us it's the ability to 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 target specific regions with skilled and unskilled labour needs who can come and support our growers in Australia to make sure that we fill the needs of what our, what our workforce is as opposed to just focusing on that one scheme. Um, we need that diversification. If we don't have that, then you know, uh, we'll, we'll be stuck waiting and waiting and waiting for working holidaymakers to come back, for, for other people who you know, have been locked out of our country for so long to actually start coming back in, in their large numbers to support our seasonal workforce. Jonathan Davey, he's the Executive Officer of Melons Australia and he was speaking there with Max Rowley in Catherine. Jonathan Davey, he's one of a number of people who've come to Cape Town for this week's NT Farmers Food Futures Conference. There's a bunch of people out on buses this afternoon checking out farms across the Catherine District. It is 18 minutes past one here on the Country Hour.
My name is Dan Fitzgerald and you're on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Coming up soon, uh, we're going to be taking a look at why avocado growers in North Queensland are dumping truckloads of fruit on the ground in their paddocks and just leaving them to rot instead of selling them. Now we'll be taking a look at this after Troy Cassadaly. Well, listen now to the wind, babe. Bow River there by the one and only Troy Cassadaly. You're on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks for your company this Monday lunchtime. Well, it's been a shopping, shocking year for avocado growers who have experienced some of their lowest prices in at least a decade. Now, over the weekend, photos emerged on social media of truckloads of avocados just dumped and left a rot on the side of the road in the Atherton Tablelands. Far North Queensland Growers President Joe Morrow says it's a really tough time for the industry. The general mood in the avocado is very, very low at this point in time. There's a lot of production that's come out this year and also there's still not really great, strong, super demand that was there, say, before COVID uh, in the marketplace. So those two factors have led to some very low prices, some of the lowest prices they've probably experienced as an avocado industry uh, going back uh, probably uh, eight, nine, maybe even ten years. So it's something that uh, has uh, not probably been a big sh- surprise, but at the same time it has 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 hit them financially uh, this year. And I would say a lot of avocado growers would be pretty either breaking even or even in a lot of cases producing product that's below the cost of a supply price. So they'll be making losses this year. So it's been a big it's been a big hard year for the avocado industry. And let's just look into those factors at play a little bit more in terms of what's causing the lowest prices that we've seen in a long time. Is that an oversupply issue? Are there too many farmers now in the avocado industry to meet the demand? Well, in the short answer, you probably would say yes to that. And the avocado industry has uh, tried to do a number of things to avoid this situation by increasing exports, which they have. They've increased their export uh, over the years. But I think COVID, as I said earlier, I think it's complicated matters for lots of reasons. One, it's affected the domestic trade with a lot of the cafes still you know, not getting up to full capacity. And also uh, exports haven't uh, been as strong as they should be as they have been pre-COVID. So all those factors have come into play, plus a lot more plantings have gone into the ground. Uh, if you drive around the tablelands, you'll see them. Um, and there's still some trees going into the ground, even though some farmers know that they probably shouldn't be doing that because those trees have been pre-bought and the commitment's been made to plant those trees. So there's going to be some difficult years for the avocado industry while it sorts out its production and oversupply is what you'll see on the market for a period of time. So as consumers, what can we do to support the avocado industry? I mean, in this case where we've seen the devastating photos on social media of truckloads of avocados dumped, people trying to put it back on the farmer saying, take it to the markets, give it to the homeless. But it's the farmer that has to foot that bill at the end of the day. So what can we as consumers do? Well, the only thing we'd encourage any consumer to do is buy uh, more avocados and buy as many as you can. You're never going to get a deal as good as you're going to get now, especially um, in some of the the more 
uh, areas where you will see uh, fruit coming more direct from the farm. For example, some of the the, the markets around far north, but even in the, um, in in Woolies and Coles, uh, you know, buy more avocados. As simple as that. Buy more fruit and vegetables because uh, it's it's uh, devastating for farmers to do what they're doing. And and you're spot on in saying it's uh, a lot of people would say. Uh, you know, don't eat the avocados, but uh, I don't eat a lot of fruit, uh, and, and I and I'm uh, and I'm a mango grower, and you can only donate so much. Uh, at the end of the day, there's a cost to take that product off the farm, and the farmers already put a big outlay in producing the crop, so it needs other people to step up. But there is product there, and I'm sure some farmers will help out. But remember, it's all part of the natural process of what we call within the supply demand mechanisms of the fruit and vegetable industry, and uh, and uh, there's a big cost for farmers to to take product uh, and send it further away because all the avocado production in in far north Queensland if it was just it cannot be just sold in, in far north Queensland it would have to be sold right across Australia. Uh, there are people making decisions uh, they've got avocados on the tree whether to just cut them and drop them on the ground and things like that. So that's the tip of the iceberg. Joe Morrow, he is the far north Queensland growers president. And he was speaking there to Kate Banville. And there's a story up online right now on the ABC Rural page if you want to read more about that story and, yeah, see some of the... What a pretty sad photos, really. Um, There's just tonnes and tonnes of avocados that have been dumped across paddocks in North Queensland there. Time now on the Country Hour to check in on the markets. Uh, we're going to head to Dublin, South Australia, where John Traeger has the details. Good afternoon. Numbers increased this week as agents offered 236 live weight, 164 open oxen cattle, along with 50 open oxen calves. Quality this week was extremely mixed, with a few three-score cattle among the offering. Grown steers and heifers maintained recent rates, as yielding and heavy bulls sold firm for type and condition. Medium weight yielding steers sold from 472 to 588 cents, as the few heavier weights range from 468 to 566 cents. Light yielding heifers sold from 462 to 480 cents, as medium weights range from 350 to a top of 570 cents a kilo. Grown steers range from 416 to 520 cents, as grown heifers sold from 460 to a top of 490 cents. Yielding bulls sold from a low of 165 cents to a top of 500 cents as heavy bulls of the trade peaked at 330 cents a kilo. This is John Traeger at the South Australian Livestock Exchange for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the Country Hour. Thanks for that, John. And taking a look at Meat and Livestock Australia's LEPI, the Live Export Indicator. Well, it hasn't been updated in a while, to be honest. Uh, Data refreshed on the 1st of May. I think it is supposed to be refreshed a bit sooner than that. But anyway, the Lepi currently, according to the website, sitting on $4.70 per kilo. That's it for the Country Hour for today. Uh, Join me for more rural news at the same time tomorrow. Have a good afternoon.